Welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. Join myself, Zorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. Hello and welcome to the Renegade Yogi Podcast Experience. My name is Zora Nanda. I'm joined here today, virtually and digitally, with my friend and fellow yogi, Olav Arts. He is an incredible human being and, in my opinion, an actual advanced yogi. Not only that, he is an academic yogi. He has a PhD in... I got to read it here because he has a whole list of things that he said in sociology of religion and statistics, uh, religious diversity and religiosity from the Radbound University of, um, I don't think I'm going to get this right, but I'm going to try it anyways, Nijmegen, Netherlands. So first, I just want to apologize in advance for some of the sound quality. Um, You'll find that whenever it switches to just him individually, there's some background static. But about um, halfway through or under halfway through, I correct it. So just just bear with me and um, it'll be corrected um, uh, at that point. So... Olav and I met at the Anand Prakash Ashram in Rishikesh, India, doing the 200-hour Akanda Yoga yoga teacher training with my teacher, Yogarishi Vishvaketu. I was the assistant teacher, and he was obviously a student in in the class. And beknownst to all of us, we did not even know just who he was and the knowledge and the experience that he had in yoga until about a week in where he was, he was starting to get frustrated with the curriculum. And, you know, he was thinking that, you know, we'd be able to go a little bit deeper, but considering, you know, that it's just a one month, 200 hour teaching teacher training, it's meant to be like the beginning, um, of understanding just the the kind of protocol of Akanda Yoga that he finally spilled the beans, so to speak, and, you know, said to everyone, you know, I have my PhD um, and I've been studying yoga academically and personally for, you know, well over a decade or more. And we started to get to learn about everything that he's gone through from becoming a ordained Buddhist monk to being a kind of like a traveling sadhu yogi in India of living in caves. And yeah, he has just a wealth of knowledge and stories. And, you know, we go into it a bit today. Today is more of an introduction of who he is. We do go into um, quite a bit of yoga philosophy and the understanding of what meditation is. Um, 
and he will definitely be a returning guest so that we can really dive into the philosophy of yoga and um, really get into you know, what the meat and the depth of, of what the yoga practice is. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And without further ado, here is our chat and our episode. I hope you enjoy. Get going. Yeah. Well, welcome, Olaf, to... <laughs> this uh, little podcast um yeah we met at um the ananda prakash ashram and you know what um it's funny to be in this position um being able to interview you and you're just saying you know that uh, this is your first podcast and uh, normally you've done interviews with journalists and, um, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah, maybe how we can get into this is, um, um just, uh, hold on a second. Yeah. Maybe how we can get into this is maybe, um, for you to kind of introduce yourself and, uh, maybe tell your story of, maybe how you got into yoga, why you got into yoga. Um, and then we can kind of progress from there organically. I know before I started recording, yeah. you were talking about your life in the Netherlands and um, and just kind of like what your job is there. But uh, yeah, what, what was it that prompted you to get into yoga? It's quite, um, for me, it's quite a, funny story um bunch of things combined so uh as a little kid i had uh, way more uh, hair than i have now and uh, i was a, a ginger uh, head now i'm bald uh, and freckles and uh, a little countryside village that's where i grew up so that's perfect recipe for getting a little bit bullied around so uh, one day in my uh, early teens like, i think i was like 13 or something no earlier maybe i was like 11 uh, i started doing karate which i really liked and i did that for uh, a couple of years but uh, at the beginning of every karate lesson we had a little bit of meditation that's how i got into meditation and i later when i was around 16 17 i started exploring meditation uh, a little bit more and of course, I also got my uh, uh, first love, a girlfriend. And um, I failed my finals in high school, but she passed. So she was one year ahead. She was an undergraduate. And um, when I passed uh, the exam one year later, I went to the same university town as she did. And she said, hey, it broke up by that time but he said hey you should come and join me with a, a yoga class i think you you might like it so i went with her to a yoga class and that's where for me the the stillness of meditation and also like the, the beauty of what i found in martial arts um came together mm -hmm. so it really resonated with me 
And um, I've been doing yoga ever since. I had my ups and downs because uh, at that time, and we're talking about maybe 22, 25 years ago, when you walk into a yoga class, at least at, at uh, the, the, the university town I was in, in the Netherlands, in Nijmegen, I was the only guy. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes that was uh, a little bit tough, like being the only guy in a completely uh, uh, woman environment. But uh, fortunately, uh, my, my teacher was um, uh, was very kind and uh, he, he kept on motivating me. And uh, that's uh, more or less how I came in contact with yoga. And um, I was doing that, I think, for maybe like four years, a couple of times a week. And then he totally caught me off guard by saying, hey, you should do a teacher training course. So I had to think about that for a year. Uh, and after a year, I decided, yeah, let's, let's go for it. Did a four-year teacher training course in the Netherlands. Um, so it was nothing like, like the, the, the month or two-month immersions. We see a lot of uh, those these days, but it was a four-year uh, teacher training track. Um, and that is more or less how my uh, yeah, teaching uh, of yoga came to be. Yeah, that's interesting because I remember in the 200-hour teacher training that we were both a part of where um, at the ashram for Akunda Yoga, um, where you were, you know, like the student, the participant in it. And I was the assistant teacher that, um, you know, like you were like expressing yourself in that manner that, you know, the, the content of the teacher training seemed a bit watered down and we we're going so quickly through it. And it makes sense now, considering that, you know, your first training was this lengthy process, almost you know, equivalent to something like a university kind of uh, degree or course, right? Um, but that it wasn't a part of the yoga association. And, you know, that was the part of the reason why you even went to Rishikesh to do the training because, um, you know, you kind of spilled the beans uh, kind of into the training. You're like, yeah, I'm only doing this to get my YA certification because I'm going to go to Bali and teach teacher trainings. <laughs> And, uh, it was, it, it, it dawned on me, um, just, um, the irony of the situation where, um, you know, like you have your PhD, you're highly educated and, um, you know, it kind of came out more and more that you're an ordained Buddhist monk. And then there's like me who seems to be this noob who's a part of the teaching team, but it just goes to show how um, the, the process of learning yoga and the process of becoming a yoga is so unique to each individual, right? Like how you're saying, like where you grew up in this like little village of being bullied, how there's, there's going to be this trajectory that's going to draw you into the practice. And that's what I feel so beautiful in that. You know, if, if I didn't have that in my life either, you know, you and I wouldn't have met because my life would have went on a whole different trajectory. And so the the kind of yoga that I got into, the, the trainings that I did, was 
this path that kind of became succinct with yours, right? And right. yeah, I think that's what's so beautiful about about the yoga practice and and the challenges are there, like you said, right? Where you know the <clears throat> the the class setting that you're in, you're surrounded by women and you know over a period of time you want to you know you want to have it relatable to um who you are and so to not have another um fellow man in the class where you can hang out with and and talk to um where i'm sure you know like you're hanging out with your classmates but there's a camaraderie that you're kind of looking for right yeah right yeah so that's um like like i said with uh, with karate uh, you 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 had cam- comrades and uh, you you made friends and uh in a way that that came a little bit later to me when yoga became you know more widespread especially in the west and more people were uh participating uh, you know participating in in yoga classes and um also because the you know the the female body is different and behaves differently than, than a male body uh, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's also nice just to, uh, for me, just to talk to, to a, uh, another person I can, can relate to, just another guy, um, you know, to, to, to share thoughts or, or things. And it's, uh, you know, I, I, I'd like uh, my my female friends for, for sure, and they're great value. But you know, sometimes there are there are little differences. Uh, you know, when you're talking to a guy, or uh, yeah. So that's um, and one thing I uh, came later to me, which I really appreciate, and uh, that's also what I like in uh, where we met in, in Akanda. It was a like a mixed uh, bag of everything, various. Uh, ethnicities uh, coming in, people of various backgrounds, uh, a mix, a healthy mix of, of males and females, which made it really quite valuable to me. And, um, you know, yeah, I came there um, to get my uh, certificate of the Yoga Alliance, uh, for sure. But it also gave me so much more because, um, I, like you said, um, I, I also had a whole PhD degree and I did religious studies. Um, along that, I also pursued uh, my, my meditation uh, practice and for a very brief while became uh, ordained as a Buddhist monk. Um, so I had all this, this, this baggage and my uh, preferences and perceptions of yoga. But, um, you know, Akanda Yoga gave different perception, and uh, I think that's quite valuable. Also, you having having you there as an assistant teacher to to share experiences and, and, and thoughts. Um, I think that's the great value of yoga. It's you know it's open, it accommodates diversity, different opinions. You don't necessarily have to do the same practice, but there is some shared belief in i think and tolerance and uh you know the exchange of things that that work and, and don't work for for people uh, in their pursuit of of, um, of contentment and, and happiness yeah so i uh, i really liked it 
didn't yeah. like the chanting at first. <laughs> Freaked me out. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the reason I, I came to the ashram. Um, but uh, now I, I, I like it and I've, uh, I've integrated it in, in the teacher trainings I'm, I'm still doing here in the Netherlands. Uh, the nice. chanting. So uh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember, <clears throat> um, yeah, just like throughout the training, um, you know, like little bits of clashes of um, just like information and content because, and, and I understand that, right? Like um, when you, when you personally dive so deep into, um, into literature and into um, uh, the history of, of yoga and, and religion that there's going to be an understanding of what you have um, about the topic. And then when you come to a school that's teaching it in a little bit of a different way, there's um, a level of adaptability that's going to need to happen. And what I really appreciated and what I saw evolve in you quickly was this understanding of like the your own discovery of this kind of love within you and how you met like even your partner now and the synchronicity in that of coming to this place without even knowing that you would even fall in love and now have a beautiful relationship right so right yeah um that's that is what i saw the power of um the not so much the power of the ashram but the um the the power of allowing yourself to be open in the situation because um that's what i found it, it did to me as well so um yeah i guess i want to you know get into your life and um mm -hmm. uh like how you like developed into the person that you are and um you know, if you can talk about your experience with Buddhism and why you um, why you wanted it to become an ordained monk and what was that mm -hmm. like? Because uh, I think I'm not too sure if I remember the timeline, but yeah, if you want to get into that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let me first give you a quick uh, uh, brief timeline. Um, I uh, started practicing yoga in uh, the late 90s. Uh, I think it was in 1999. I started doing meditation uh, with the karate lessons. I think it was in uh, maybe 1990 or 91, so quite a, quite a bit earlier. Um, and in 90. Uh, seven, I went to Nepal for the first time by myself, uh, quite exciting, um, and uh, wanted to explore Buddhism a bit more, because um, a friend of mine, she gave me this book, it's called The Monk and the Philosopher, uh, it's a dialogue between a, a father who is a biologist and his son who became um, a, a Tibetan monk, and I was quite captivated by it. Uh, so I, uh, I went to Nepal and um, explored Tibetan Buddhism a, a bit, uh, stayed in, in Tibetan monastery for about two weeks and did all kinds of uh, 
rituals and got poured over with milk, which protect you from the sky spirits uh, who, you know, uh, attack you from above. Uh, very dangerous stuff. Um, but, you know, all these rituals and... Um, it, to me, at that time, seems quite foreign and couldn't really relate to it. So I came back and, and I started doing uh, Vipassana meditation. Mm-hmm. And then in, in 2013, I uh, wanted to deepen my uh, Vipassana practice. I've been doing it quite intensely, um, though still in the relatively safe setting of a retreat or uh, an ashram. Uh, which basically means, uh, you know, you have food security, you have uh, physical safety. Um, without those two, uh, the meditation becomes uh, different, also, because you know what happens to you as a as a as a person when you know there's food scarcity, something we are not really familiar. But when you are dependent on gifts. Uh, alms, people who give them to you, um, it, it changes, at least for me, it changed the whole dynamic, uh, which was really quite interesting to, to see. So in 2013, um, I had a small uh, bamboo hut in, in then uh, uh, Myanmar, Burma, former Burma, and every morning um, the sun came up and before like 11 twice a day, went down to, uh, to a village to um, receive uh, alms to get me through the day. Um, so I wanted to really deepen my meditation and explore differences between meditation uh, here in, in the West, especially in Europe or the Netherlands, and how it is perceived and practiced over there. To give you a little bit of an example to, you know, it really has broadened my horizon practicing in Asia. Here in, in the Netherlands, Europe, maybe also in, in, uh, in uh, North America, we um, associate meditation with a peace of mind, mm-hmm. um, health, and, and maybe even enlightenment. Uh, in Asia, that's not what I've been uh, experiencing at all. So when people um, gave me uh, food or wished me well, they always said, like, may you attain supernatural powers. Um, Meditation there is more about um, conquering death, uh, transcending old age and sickness. And the, how do you say, the the reprocits, I'm um, my English, excuse my English. The reciprocal. Uh, repre- um, reciprocal. Yeah, reciprocal relationship yeah. Yeah. between you as, as a monk, what you represent, and, you know, the lay uh, uh, person, lay follower. Um, because, you know, for them, uh, the Buddha or the Buddha's enlightenment is so far fetched and also quite. Uh, this like distant uh, and they emphasize greater value in what you can also do for them so you know with your increased spiritual awareness or abilities so to say you can help them out maybe prevent sickness or um, 
give some blessing which may cure uh, a child or a senior citizen. And um, even, you know, when I've, I've also meditated in, in India as a, as a wandering yogi in, uh, in, in a cave there and there, people came to me and asked me if I could let it rain, for example, to let the field. So there's a totally different dynamic going on. Um, and to experience that, not only from a theoretical perspective, but, you know, from experience, uh, was a, quite an important driver for me to uh, explore meditation and yoga also in, in the East. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's actually quite interesting because um, lately I've been really wanting to understand... Um, what the root of meditation is in our world, right? Like even right down from the mm -hmm. etymology of the word where that comes from and then the, the practice itself. And, mm -hmm. and I, I'm really happy to actually talk to you about this because, you know, this is my own research and it's not so much coming from an academic place too much. I mean, I have gone to university and my um, major that I was doing was in philosophy and Asian philosophy. So um, mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to study the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita and um, mm -hmm. basically everything, right? From Shintoism to Taoism. But what I discovered is like even the word meditation was um created or used in the 12th century from a french monk right and it was used particularly as a way to contemplate god um in your daily life so like the meditation wasn't actually just like sitting down and going inwards and doing breathing techniques and trying to uh, reach this inner peace it was um, almost like the use of mantra where you had these passages from the Bible and you would just um, repeat them and you kind of contemplate and think about and that's what was considered meditation to what we have now where you have an app that you say oh you can meditate for five minutes and you're gonna you know you're gonna calm yourself down you have someone with a beautiful voice saying just breathe and inhale vision mm -hmm. this right and and so what I started to really understand um, lately is looking at Ashtanga Yoga, like the eight limb path, and particularly the last four, right? Like Pratyahara, uh, Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. And I had this realization that in, in India, it seems like there really isn't a word for meditation. And that instead you have mm -hmm. this four, you have this four part structure that Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi is what your meditation is. And it's a, it's a process going through all of it where you, you first need to start with the sense withdrawal. Then you need to move into the um, concentration. And then Dhyana, from what I understand, is like the closest word to what meditation can be. But then at this point, it seems like what we have in the West for meditation is not even close to what Dhyana is. It's Dhyana is so much seemingly dip, like um, deeper. Mm -hmm. And then you have Samadhi, which is that place. I think what you were saying where you have this attained kind of supernatural ability and 
it's almost recognizable from the people around that because you live in caves or because you're this wandering monk that you have the time for this deepening process and then they can kind of see oh this is the person that has attained this samadhi or this state of nirvana and and can help with our crops and our illness and and whatnot right um yeah so yeah, I just thought that was interesting that like throughout the whole world now we have um, this representation of, of meditation that to me now is like only the very beginning, right? And mm-hmm. what seems to be more appropriate is to actually look at it um, as, as this entire process with, with the Stanga Yoga and, and that possibly... Um, the meditation that we think we're doing isn't even meditation at all. That it's just the first part of Pratyahara, right? It's that first part of just mm-hmm. actually changing your brain state. And then it the, it begins, right? Right, yeah. So, the, um, yeah, I think an, an important prerequisite, and maybe that's also now that you mention it, maybe part of uh, my travels to um maybe maybe even to achieve some sort of uh, remoteness from uh, from society to have a um you know a proper pratyahara to completely withdraw so there's a lot way less uh you know stimuli from the outside so you're drawn inside mm-hmm. and see what's going on there and then you know still your mind get your concentration more or less in order in order to you know even take the first step dharana before even thinking about you know jhana and let alone uh, samadhi mm-hmm. um and yeah it's, it's interesting that you see, there's not really a word uh for uh, meditation in the east sometimes it's it's called samyama uh, which means like um uh, holding together uh, or union, which basically is dharana, jhana, and samadhi together combined to achieve this state of union, where you know the distinct boundaries we we have between inside and outside, you and me, what is possible and what is seems you know, or seemingly impossible, they just you know disappear, um, and yeah, I I think that. For a um, uh, great many deal of a great amount of people, it is really interesting to explore. You know, even Pratyahara. You know, what does it do to me to, you know, to look at myself for a longer period? Mm-hmm. Um, do I feel comfortable or getting uncomfortable? Uh, and. Um, for me personally, it was also like really um, confronting with my own insecurities or my own when, you know, when, because at some point you start reflecting on your own behavior and, uh, you know, am I, can I really be like, like unfriendly to people or, uh, you know, these are all stages, these are all still like impulses uh, trying to yank you out of the state of dharana and, and jhana, the uh, state of you know fixating and holding your awareness, um, 
which uh, which I think can be really interesting, especially in this um, high-paced society we're living in right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. That's interesting that you say about um, that. Um, how do I want to say it? Like um, inward reflection, right? Where um, mm-hmm. you know the first moment you sit down and you close your eyes, and you know there's immediate recognition of all of the movement that's happening within the thoughts, you know, within the body, the inability to just sit still, the fidgeting, and that the process to even get to the next stage, it's like there's this boundary, right? And there's this, um, Mm -hmm. there's almost this initiation that's needed that in order to actually experience the next stage of Dharana, that there's, um, and, and I think overcoming is probably the wrong word, but overcoming um, the obstacle in, in getting through that boundary and that most most of us um, have a really tough time with that. And I and I think, um, you know, where Vipassana is a, is a beautiful way to do that or um a powerful way to do that because you're like literally like forced almost to sit with that right Mm -hmm. you have hour increments where you just sit it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you're thinking Mm -hmm. about you just don't move you sit there and what i what i found in in my practice is the almost quickest way to kind of get through that boundary is doing my best to be completely still, right? So that I'm not moving a single thing. I don't move to itch anything. I don't, I just sit. And there's this almost like a, like a flip of a switch or like a finger snap where I just feel in my body like a lock, like Mm -hmm. I just lock into place. And then as soon as that happens and I feel like my pelvis kind of locks into place, my legs lock into place, my whole body locks into place, then I'm almost just catapulted into this next sphere of experience. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it's like my hearing is amplified and I can, I, my thoughts are still there, but they're just suddenly louder and they're kind of echoey. And, and it's almost like, they have penetrated out of my head. You know, it's like when we're just in our day to day thinking, it kind of seems like everything's contained in our head. And then suddenly all of that moves outside of it. And then there's this uh, rec- new recognition like, oh, I'm I'm outside of myself. And then there's the next boundary. It's like, how do I now penetrate through that? And that's what allowed me to kind of see how meditation isn't just this word of this kind of commercialized process. It's Mm -hmm. this whole way of experiencing yourself um, that I think, you know, um, like yoga and uh, maybe Buddhism. I haven't, I've like, I've studied Mm -hmm. Buddhism, but I haven't really gotten into it too much, but that, you know, they're really onto something with understanding Mm -hmm. this process. Yeah, it's um, uh, interesting. Interesting what you're you're uh, you know you're talking about when you're 
you know, physically locked into place that you almost immediately go to, you know, um, a next or, 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 or a deeper level, level in your uh, meditation. Um, yeah, for, for me, it's also what, more or less what I've experienced. I would, I would phrase it like in our day-to-day lives, we are in constant motion. Everything is, you know, a constant dynamic. There's a, it's just a flow of energy and uh, transforming energy when you, whether you eat or speak the interactions you have uh, it's all a uh, you know tra- transition transformation of energy and you know usually we're not aware of it uh, but when we uh, sit and we have the uh, first of all a strong like resolve to sit we start noticing, you know, at the grossest level, the impulse to move, like the body wanting to move. Um, and then also, you know, our mind gets so, our thoughts go into overdrive, um, which I think is quite natural. And the, the tendency of this, of, 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 of me at the start, maybe you, you, you can recognize it, is that a sense of failure, you know, oh, I have all these thoughts, they, they are so overwhelming, and then I, I run along with them. But I think that's also part of the, the process to become aware that, you know, you have all these thoughts, and you're, you know, continuously seduced to move along with them, instead of, you know, becoming just aware, oh, you know, thoughts are, are coming, and, and they're also going. It's like, the first, like when you uh, shine a, a flashlight into a, a, a pond, fish will come up, swim to the to the torch, mm-hmm. which I think is also like uh, when you have a strong, stable concentration, it acts like a like a a torch in the dark, and uh, all these fish or other animals will come. But it's part of the, uh, I think it's part of the process. Um, and just to keep your balance and, you know, of course you're going to get distracted and you're going to get involved in your thought, but once you again and again, uh, keep on, um, doing it over and over sooner or later, I think you'll, you'll be successful. And that's, um, that's also what for me at least partially why i you know do retreats or you know put myself into a more remote area is to um not allow myself to have any distractions you know there's nothing else there's nowhere to run yeah there's no escape there's nowhere to run yeah and and, you know when we when we first met in the ashram and I had a, I had a lot of time to really observe everyone. And, you know, after learning about, um, just your experiences with being in, um, the ashrams that you were in and the traveling is that even with your practice, I just noticed how dedicated you are. I just noticed how serious you you take it but not in um 
not like in a, in a militant way, but there's this um, um, holding of the the practice that I think is is quite challenging for people. I find I find it's even challenging for me, um, mm-hmm. you know. And so, what do you think that is within you that allows you to um, really be like uh, steadfast with with mm-hmm. your practice and and um, your dedication to it. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, may, maybe it's at some points in, in my practice, I, um, I maybe was quite militant about it, uh, at least to my, towards myself. Um, and I think part of the, the reason why I am dedicated or people, you know, uh, say I'm, 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 I'm dedicated is um, because I'd like to do something good or I don't want to do it at all. Mm. Uh, so, and maybe that's also, uh, I think it's just a, maybe a quality of, of, of me that, you know, I do a few things in, uh, or I try to focus on a few things in my, in my life. And, um, you know, strive to do them uh, well, whereas other people have the quality to, you know, have uh, very broad interests and explore many different areas. Um, for me, um, doesn't work that way. Um, so I, uh, I try to, you know, what I've, uh, what resonates with me, I, I'll, I, try to explore it completely um and yeah also to um why am i so it's a good question why am i why do people think that or i come across as dedicated um yeah i think this for me it's it's a way of um um creating a value in, in my life you know for um it, it's made you know i'm live now i might as well live it um and yoga for me is a, is a way to express myself to define myself um in this world um on you know many different levels uh, on, on a physical level uh, I can explore myself. It's also for me, yoga is also an expression of the philosophy in all these different asana positions. Um, and you know, the it, it resonates with me because I think in any, or at least this is my personal opinion, any spiritual uh, philosophy or practice, um, if if the body is not included, like how are you going to deal with your life properly? Because, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fact that you, you are an embodied uh, person. Mm-hmm. You have this physical body. So not to include it um, in your quest for spirituality or religion. Uh, I don't have a clear distinction between the two. Um would make no sense to me. And um, that totality also 
invites me to be really committed and consistent in the things I do, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And because <clears throat> I think that is like generally one of the most difficult parts of even approaching yoga is the the demand for a daily practice and it's it's interesting to see how easy it can be for some people and how difficult or challenging it is for others and i know that's been the theme in my life of you know mm -hmm. the night before and i'm going to bed and i tell myself you know i'm going to wake up and and go to yoga or wake up and do my practice and my alarm clock goes off and it's so much easier for me to just hit the snooze and um, go back to bed. And, you know, having to deal with my own patterns of um, just my upbringing, right? The way that mm -hmm. I just developed myself in having excuses for things. And, and, I, and I see how that slips into my, my yoga practice. And then on top of that, it's... You know, it doesn't help having injuries, having been in car accidents and then, you know, also having yoga related injuries. Um, and so an interesting thing before my 300 hour teacher training um, in the summer, I ended up pulling my hamstring really bad, showing off uh, a yoga posture uh, to a bunch of friends and I had this injury all the way leading up three days before leaving to the ashram where literally the four days before I woke up with this pain still in my leg and I'm just thinking to myself, how the hell am I going to do this? How am I going to do a full on 300 hour teacher training where I'm expected to do yoga every day, all day. And I'm like, I'm in so much pain, right? And the next day, it just completely cleared up. It was like almost a miracle, right? Right. But even now, six years later, I still have issues with with that leg. And I still have issues with that insertion point of like right where the tendon meets the connective tissue and the muscle. And so mm -hmm. what I realized is that in the last, I would say eight years of my practice, um, especially between 25 and 30, that I, I was doing it because I had a fixed goal of what kind of flexibility I wanted, how deep mm -hmm. I wanted to go into these postures. And so even though I thought I was progressing in a way where I was gaining this flexibility and I was able to get into these postures that I was doing it in an imbalanced way that led to these injuries. And, and so it was almost like a blessing now coming to this point where maybe over the last three years, I, I haven't been able to do my practice daily, but I do find the time to do it. I still think to myself, you know what, this is still important. And even spontaneously, I'll wake up at 4am some days just wide awake and I just immediately go to my mat and I immediately practice. So there's still something in there that's moving, but it gave me the opportunity to rethink things and to say, and to be honest with myself, I was 
way too rigid and I was way too hard on myself. And so, um, it takes me to that like steerum sukum kind of balance, right? Of steadiness and softness yeah. where it's like, okay, this is a lifelong endeavor and I can now approach it in a safer way and re-examine how I'm going to go about doing my practice and re-enter it in a way where I want to promote that safety for others. Because who knows, maybe in the whole time I was teaching, the way that I was teaching, maybe I was potentially causing others to lead to harming themselves without even knowing it. Right. So, mm-hmm. right. um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's so, um, so relevant and also so recognizable what, what you're talking about right now. And, um, you know, as, as a matter of fact, every teach training course, I, I start off, um, saying that you know you're all here because of an intention so willpower is a very important driving force for yoga for becoming you know a good chess player or a biker or a good husband or father or mother so willpower is, is, is a very good driving force but with yoga um willpower alone will will give you injury it, i think it needs to be balanced with you know, again, with meditation, which will also bring you back right here, you know, in the present moment, so as it is. So there's this balance between, you know, what are my ambitions uh, in yoga, which may be vastly different between people, but also in realizing what, where I'm at, where am I at now? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, start from, you know, as it is, not as you would like it to be. Maybe you've seen a nice picture of a person in a certain position and you aspire to have that flexibility as well. But if that's all there is, the only this aspiration, chances are you, you might injure yourself um, because you're, like you said before, like your prachahara, your inward directness is, um, is underdeveloped. Uh, with regards to your willpower, which may be overdeveloped in this situation. So these two need to be in balance. Um, So also beginning uh, teacher training students or any student for that matter, said, you know, be be honest, um, but also be, um, you know, uh, how do you say, compassionate towards yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Go to bed and you say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do yoga uh, tomorrow in the morning. Okay, fair enough. Uh, It's fine. You wake up and you hit the snooze button. There are two things then to consider. I'll tell them. First off, you have succeeded two times in doing yoga. First one, before you went to bed, you had the intention, I'm going to do yoga, which I think is a good and wholesome intention. It's your first win. Your second win is hitting the snooze button. You become aware. I could also choose yoga, but you choose consciously, which is, I think, a second win. The third win is you may sooner or later become aware that you have a whole day ahead of you, which will give you another opportunity during the day to practice yoga. So 
always have a, a mindset to set yourself up for success. You know, um, if you are overambitious, you you will set yourself up for failure. But you know, little steps. Uh, don't compare yourself to your teacher straight away. You will likely fail because they have so many more years or decades of experience, um, and they as well. You know, you know, I failed many, many times, uh, and I think it's it's quite valuable to to make mistakes because you've learned and. Um, I, I've talked about this this four-year teacher training course uh, I, I did to start off my uh, my uh, teaching yoga career, so to say. After those four years, um, I definitely was certain this is not what I want. So I was also committed like exploring what I don't want, uh, which will which took me to a path with another you know uh, alongside those four years I started knowing another teacher and I've been with him ever since. So that's now for over 12 years, I've, I've known him. Um, no. And so exploring both ways, like what do I want, but also what, uh, what's not my path. So it's also important to know. And again, it, it's this balance between, you know, listening to both side so so yeah switching perspectives of uh you know is this going to help me this intention or is it gonna um you know hamper my development in my my practice in whatever it is or maybe there's like a middle way um so yeah little steps and uh, even though and I think that's really ingrained in, in our society. Also, it is um, becoming more and more in, in yoga that if you cannot do something, you have a, a sense of failure. Um, I think there is, there is no failure uh, in, in yoga. Uh, you know, if you put a, even one drop in your glass, there's one drop in there that wasn't there before. And, um, you know, and, I think that's quite valuable because you participated in this multitude of traditions, uh, multitude of yoga traditions, where you know you just part have participated, and you 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 are also in the footsteps of all those who have you know braved the hardships and, and reaped the rewards uh, came before you, and uh, you know in. In this this path of yoga, this way to discover your yourself uh, in search of something that is, um, you know, uh, maybe lost uh, for you a little bit, or you know, you lost sight of, of it, or if you have this, this yearning to to rediscover or reconnect to something. Um, so I think it's it's always a a a, a win. Uh, you know, it starts with intention. Mind matters most is uh, what Goenka, that's uh, one of my uh, teachers of Vipassana courses, uh, said. You know, mind matters most. So it starts with intention, but keep it balanced. Yeah. 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 I like what you said about, um, <clears throat> you know, the balance between being um, uh, like the willpower and, um, 
that like pratyahara, right? Where, yeah. Um, in my case, the overambition is really what's innate in me, and and that's where I feel. Um, just throughout my life, I've always been overambitious, and I think that's actually what like led me into yoga, and what yoga mm-hmm. is now um, chipping away at. Right. Because I have I have that direct tendency of being overambitious with my yoga practice. And that is exactly what led me to my my injury. And it was it was interesting because it happened right after I came back from Thailand from um, basically spending two months at a yoga school and teaching yoga and practicing every day. You know, when you're in a. uh, a tropical humid place where it's you know 30 degrees plus every day and it's just so easy for um, the yoga practice in that sense to mold your body so I was at a point where I was really at the peak of my flexibility peak of my strength you know I was able to do things I was never able to do before and how when I was in that environment, it was really conducive to for me to be really mindful of everything that I was happening in my practice and, and really allowed me to take it one step at a time. And as soon as I went back home and as soon as I was able to relax that, um, that state of mind and be around friends and, um, you know, we were shooting a video for... Um, this like music video for my friend and I you know had I was in the standing position where you have your leg up kind of like pulled up next to your uh, head and mm-hmm. I it was just a slip of a moment of just pressing my pelvis forward and pulling my leg up and you know just pulling something because over all these months of of really working on myself that um, you know, for me to exercise that mindfulness that like, okay, I just, I just need to like really take it easy now and let my body integrate everything that it's gone through, but not listening to that and overextending myself. And then now seeing how that overambitious nature is still there. Um, but it's like dampened my willpower, Right. Mm-hmm. Because there's this subconscious fear of injuring myself. There's this subconscious fear of overdoing it. And I've recognized that now. And, you know, I've I've adapted new kind of exercises and training to strengthen areas that I neglected and feeling more and more that I'm ready to get into my practice and what I've set for myself. Uh, and I like doing this. I've done this over the last couple of years, even with my injury of just doing like 30 day yoga challenges just for myself. Um, so I'm yep. set for another one tomorrow for August. And there's always a part of me that's like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right. But then, but then I, I still like go through it. Right. Um, Cause I have plenty of room. Like it's so funny how my mind works of thinking that I have to have like the perfect space and I have to have like the perfect amount of space around me so that I don't like bump into anything and that I need to have like a certain amount of ceiling space. I don't know. My mind is really funny in these things, but I, I look at the room that I'm in now and I'm, and I'm just looking, I'm like, Oh man, I have plenty of space and I just, I need to prepare myself for that. And you know, but then that willpower has now grown 
and I'm like really looking forward to it. And I, and I, I put that into the willpower, you know, and I put these intentions into the willpower where the willpower is not just by itself. It's not an exertion anymore. It has the attention of excitement. It has the intention of healing. It has the intention of, uh, this continuation of working on myself because, um, like, like you were saying, um, you know, the, the introduction of yoga into your, into your life is, is just so transformative. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I feel is my purpose as a yogi is, um, you know, educating people in a way where they can adopt it at whatever point that they are in their life, what, whatever state of mind they're in, whatever state of their physical body that, you know, just because they see me as someone that's, you know, relatively fit, um, and, and healthy that that's not how I started. You know what I mean? Like I started at a way different place than where I am now. And this is, and this is where it's brought me and I had my lessons to learn. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I can then at this position, I can depart to people. Here's the things that you can do. Here's the things that, you know, you don't do. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like, um, it's, it's funny how, how it works, especially the mind is, um, even more so than the body is like jumping to conclusions or like skipping, like maybe, uh, one, two or five steps. Like, it's like when you walk into a forest, you think, you know, it's a beautiful forest and it's always been there. It's not the case. It takes, you know, also nature takes a lot of time to, you know, first, first develop some grasses and, and trees. So it's a step-by-step process. Mm-hmm. Um, also physically, uh, most definitely mentally, it's, it's a step-by-step um, practice. And I think time is an important factor, which is often disregarded. But what, I, what I've found is by doing, for example, like six to eight years foundational poses in yoga really uh, gave me a thorough understanding about, you know, maybe the more complex or advanced asana poses. And they made me, made them more accessible also because it prepared my mind to calm down, not to be over ambition, you know, so that there was really um, a blessing of my teacher that he said, you know, whatever you're doing, you're going to do this, Olaf, in your, in your daily practice. You have to do this. And just to keep the mind humble and um, alert of what is really going on, not, not that what you are hoping for or striving for, but, you know, stay humble and stay with, you know, as it is. And, um, also, when people are experiencing injury or, or fear, what, what really was beneficial for me is to you know, dive into that experience of fear and push it to their absolute maximum to, you know, to completely submerge yourself into the fear of you know, uh, being completely injured or... Um, you know, just fear as, as fear itself and, you know, watch that dissolve because for me, yoga is, is a total practice. Um, like I started, a lot of people associated with, um, with happiness and, and, and um, 
maybe even pleasure. Um, but I think I always argue that, you know, how can you be really content and, and happy if you are hesitant to look at, you know, the other 50% in, in your life, mm-hmm. uh, uh, hopefully less, um, um, you know, the, because there, there's also sadness, there's also heaviness, there's also grief and, and, and fear and anger and doubt and anxiety. Um, you know, I think we also have to, or at least in my practice, I, I, I dove into these experiences as well to um, not to injure myself and to have a sustainable or uh, how do you say durable um, practice emotionally, mentally, physically. Yeah, um, I think that's 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 really important. And um, um, it, it will also, I think, allow myself to open up for different possibilities like like i i've, I've said to uh, you know when i came to akanda yoga uh, which is um quite uh how do you say like like the vedic tradition with the you know we, in the morning we had the fire ritual and the mantras and the teachers there were quite inclined towards advaita vedanta which doesn't really resonate with me personally so on mm. a personal level i really um, especially the first, you know, couple of days or maybe even weeks, I, I struggle a little bit to come to terms and let, you know, let that um, uh, just happen. Um, I think it, it opens up, you know, new possibilities um, because sometimes in in my teacher training, always, you know, a couple of months ago, I gave a lecture about inclusiveness in yoga and some um people, especially uh, people who grew up with uh, their um, Islam backgrounds, they are quite hesitant to join because they, they view it as, or some, some very strong um, Christians, faithful uh, Christians, they're sometimes quite hesitant. But, you know, um, a lot of yoga we know today is also influenced by the, the Islamic traditions, uh, what they wrote down. Um, they have also strong meditative practices, maybe not, you know, exactly the same as the, from from the, the Indian, uh, continent, but they also have meditative practices, uh, Christianity as well. And they also use the physical body, at least some Christian traditions use the physical body as an instrument to, uh, attain or come closer to. To Jesus or God. Um, so for me, the um, you know staying humble and um, keeping a, an open mindset as much as possible, despite of you know also personal preferences and difficulties, um, really allowed me to enrich and deepen my practice, which. Um, I thought, yeah, it's, it's quite nice. And also, especially as a teacher, I think you needed to um, to point people in a certain direction to um, to work safely, uh, which is uh, suitable for them, you know? Yeah, yeah and 
And I think that's, um, <clears throat> I don't want to say this, that inclusivity is, um, especially in a religious sense, is is challenging, right? Because for whatever reason, the history of our kind of dominant religions have, have been so isolating in um, their, like, institutionalized sense, right? So, like, when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at um, uh, the Mecca Quran, when you look at um, these, like, older scriptures, they say that, you know, like, you have your religion, you have your religion, I have mine, and it's all good. Like, we're all brothers and sisters in it. But then when you actually look at the history of of the institution and how they actually mm -hmm. grew their following and how they're actually to survive, they battled against each other, right? And that there is mm -hmm. um, this, uh, this contradiction between what the actual scriptures taught and what the leaders of those institutions actually um, guided their followers towards, where I feel yoga is this standalone that... From my knowledge, I don't think yoga has ever incited any wars. I don't think yoga has ever really had this kind of um, militant push outside of India to try to spread its doctrine to other people in a way where you convert or you die kind of thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I, I might be just historically missing something, but it seems from what I've researched, um, yoga is the standalone of um, this is a practice, you know, um, now it's, it's kind of, um, flourishing or trying to come out as more of a science that you can adapt this into your life, whoever you are, wherever you are. And it's not going to take away from your faith in, in your religion. It's not going to take away from your beliefs of how you should raise your family and, and stuff. It's a, it's an additive to, um, what can actually help improve the quality of your life. And, and I, and I think that's why people from these different religions are starting to see the value in it and that they're, uh, uh, they're able to adopt it and, um, still practice what they practice. Right. And so that's it. And I'm on the same page, you know, that's mm -hmm. what I like to tell people too. And, and I've had a whole host of, of different people in my classes and, and I really, I do everything I can to be mindful that, um, when I, when I teach, there are some things that I leave out so that um, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like what I'm teaching is overtly religious, right? Where I'm trying to take away someone's belief that, you know, I won't ever say like, oh, what you think of is God isn't actually God. It's actually Shiva and Shiva is the God of everything. And you need to, you know, mm -hmm. it's like... Um, Rather, I can I can tell a story of how, you know, Adinat and Shiva mm -hmm. um, are these representations of what started and brought about yoga and that there's this, um, you know, carried energy through the ages of, of um, mm -hmm. yogis and monks and sadhus who, 
use the stories as allegory to continue the practice, you know, as a way to help teach children in a fun way and, you know, why the asanas are named after plants or animals and um, mm -hmm. that it, it, it's not meant to be taken really literally. And it's, and it's a way at that time when there wasn't real, there wasn't a printing press, there wasn't um, writing, that there had to be a way to actually verbally teach it. And that's where I see even like mantra and the use of Sanskrit, that it was a way to actually help with memorizing, right? That you have this um, rhythm and you have this um, melody so that it just sticks with you and you have this story with it. And, and I think that's what has really helped people not to be so afraid of of the practice that um because i've had many people who were christian that come to my class and you know i chant om or i chant a mantra and they're immediately put off but i end up explaining it to them afterwards that you know here's the translation you know like what i said means this and then they say, oh, wow, that's actually really lovely. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, when I when we chant like yoga, chitta, vritti, niroda, the way that I mm -hmm. like to translate it is um, the unification of uh, the fluctuations of the mind with the original state of consciousness. So and I'll give an example, like think about mm -hmm. you have an intention um, that um, you want to lose some weight, right? So you want to eat a little healthier, right? A week later, you find that you're slipping away from it and you're, you're not sticking to that intention. So what this mantra can help do is allow you to stick with that original, um, state of consciousness, that original thought of, I want to lose some weight. I want to eat healthier. And so then that mantra is like a, is like a reminder. And so when you're chanting the mantra, you're not thinking about that. You're chanting a Sanskrit, um, line and that it's like some mm -hmm. adoption, weird, like indoctrination of a religion. It's that you are embedding the intention into the mantra of, my original state of consciousness in this moment mm -hmm. that is going to help me with my goal is that this mantra is just going to help me stay on track. And then, then I say, if you don't even like the, like using those words, you can just translate it to English and embed the intention in there. Right. And so that you're right. chanting to yourself and that it's a tool used. So it has, you know, you can kind of release this, um, you know, uh, judgment of whether or not it's, it's a religious thing or not. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what's really helped me with mantra too, because, you know, some of them are just so elaborate, especially, you know, in, in the puja at the ashram, right. You're just, you're chanting yeah. things. And you're like, what the hell am I saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But I, I, I think it's very, um, you know, what you We've been talking about the, the, like the power of association. Uh, it's not really uh, the words, but it's more even more important is the association that specific person or you yourself have with you know uniting these these mantras, these these sounds with your own intention. Um, I think that's 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 really powerful um, and. 
in that sense, um, yoga has, um, to my knowledge, has almost always been that way. It has, yoga was never like a standalone religion or a standalone philosophy. Yoga uh, and its various um, elements have always been integrated into a wider cult, whether it be uh, Shaivism, like the followers of, of Shiva, or mm -hmm. Vaishnavism, like the followers of Vishnu, or, um, you know, it originated most likely into a Tibetan uh, Buddhist culture. Um, it has always been uh, integrated into various um, other or broader uh, cults or, or religious, um, also in um, uh, in Islam or Sikhism, we have Jain uh, Buddhist uh, Jain yoga uh, as well. Um, so we we come across yoga in all these various um, settings and, and meanings across different cults and, and religion and even world religions. And it's interesting you said that like yoga was never uh, you know institutionalized or you know the, the uh, there was never um, war on yoga or uh, because of yoga. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, there are various uh, yogis uh, who uh, have origins, and sometimes you still see it in, in India today, who have a firm rooting in like a more militant aspects um, of, uh, of yoga culture. Uh, you have the um, Udasin. Those are coming from a, um, a wrestler uh, tradition uh, of yoga based to protect uh, merchants or, or royalty or other noble, noble people. And also within, you know, the, the, the Shaiva traditions, you have the, um, the it's a tradition like the, the, the naked, the Naga uh, sadhus. Mm -hmm. um, they actually have uh, origins in um, also being like mercenaries. They still have swords and uh, uh, stuff. So they, they, they used to protect themselves or protect other, other people. So they, there is a, a more a bloody side, so to say, or a more darker side to uh, to some um, traditions of, of, of yoga uh, as well. And um, I am, I'm also curious because for me, uh, like you said, you know, like uh, teaching children yoga, and that's also for me, like the huge, you know, various meanings of yoga is for me personally, I would not teach yoga to kids. Uh, I think they need to explore and, you know, they need to ex climb trees, ex explore their friends and nature and the world around them and the world within them. Um, whereas for me, yoga is also firmly like, associated with um, some philosophy or some sort of doctrine or um, mm. uh, some structure, uh, which I don't want to bother kids with, you know. So then for me, it was it's more like, no, kids yoga is more like gymnastics or like exploring fun ways to see how your hand works or how high you can lift up your leg or, you know, whatever. It's like a more playful way, uh, which for me you know, gravitates uh, a little bit away from what 
constitutes yoga for me and i think that's part of the you know the 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 the, the power of, of the yoga to adapt itself into various you know uh, contexts um of um of beliefs and and what is you know required or needed from uh, individuals um yeah so, and so that's yeah and that makes sense because mm -hmm. i remember even when i was a kid not even really knowing about yoga but still for some reason having it a part of my life you know when you're a kid and mm -hmm. you're like you're doing back bands and full wheels and headstands and sh and you just yeah. don't even know what you're doing because you're just like rolling around the ground like with your friends yeah. and like you know going into shoulder stand and stuff and and how like why is that you know like and mm -hmm. the what i've explored in me is like okay is yoga actually uh, like a state of consciousness is it actually that's something that's embedded within us within humanity that's always been there and then as humanity grows and as we evolve it evolves with us and it starts to come out in different ways so at first when we're kids it's just this playful like we're doing these weird postures we have no idea what we're doing but um, it's it's there to then some people it, it starts to take root. And then some people say, hey, there's something to this. Um, what am I doing, right? And especially, like, I would imagine, say, um, you know, like, far in the past, that what, what, what created, like, the yogi were the people that started to pay attention to that. And they started to say, wait, mm -hmm. why was I doing these postures? Why was I doing these things? Why is it that when I was a kid and I was doing these weird breathing things and that it came more organically in that sense and that there was just these adepts that started to package it together and they started to go, okay, well, if I do this and this and this, maybe something will come out of it. If I do this kind of breathing, maybe something will come out of it. Maybe if I sit still and I, and I focus, maybe something will come out of it and um, how it's developed to, to what we have now and that it's really more of an organic process than, um, mm -hmm. you know, something that's so logical. Yeah. 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 I, I, um, uh, yeah. I, I think that's one also like that what makes the various yoga traditions is that um, there, there's room for this kind of like organic development and creativity because, you know, if it's, not allowed to do that anymore it's it, you know it, it's bound to to die out because um you know time moves on and people grow and develop so you know this all these explorations of yoga and, and um uh, your notion also needs needs to develop uh, needs to uh, you know needs to be explored i think that's uh, a great and uh, great contribution like also like you just said like the you use quite some technical terms about the the, the anatomy of the, the human body and uh, i think that's also a great addition to to yoga mm -hmm. it was completely irrelevant like let's say 200 years ago yeah and and for still a lot of people today uh, practicing yoga it's completely irrelevant like for a for a sadhu 
practicing, like let's say, Virabhadrasana or a Virasana variation, mm-hmm. he or, or sometimes she couldn't care less about if the hips are 45 degrees or completely squared. You know, it's it's totally different um, meaning or pursuit of the what this asana is. But you know, people being created like okay, you know, I've had in the West we have this medical tradition and this anatomy let's see what comes out of it if i combine it with with yoga and you know can i maximize benefits out of it uh, or prevent injury uh, and you know hey this this actually works for for a lot of people i think that's uh, it's a great thing to to have and continue uh, exploring yeah it may not resonate with me but who knows mes- may resonate with you or some someone else mm-hmm. um and that's that's you know basically what um, what I've learned fr- from yoga a lot and shaped my uh, personality is to to open up to open up about uh, for possibility for for potency to break down your own boundaries and projections and you know see you know what else is there what, you know, like you said you know just do it see what comes out of it. Um, you know what 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 might happen um and um in that way for me yoga has uh yeah shapes my my personality to uh, let go of structure you know i'm coming from a catholic background and uh, for me the, the catholic uh you know catholicism was structure words uh, rules, mm-hmm. but you know now I've also learned to see that it, that it can also be so much more. Um, you know, not that it is my 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 journey, but um, you know it, it has opened up for me like to come to terms with with my past, um, and that's also like, like a little circle back like with your intentions and to have a sustainable practice is to come to terms with your own roots, your own past, you know, and also with the, a lot of my, my friends who do yoga or teacher training or students, they uh, are not at terms with their own culture, their own past. Like, you know, I, I, they, they had a lot of sometimes resentment or anger towards Christianity. Mm-hmm. But it is, you know, very much ingrained into their minds, whether they agree with it or not. So if you come to terms with your own past, I think it can be a very fertile soil, either to develop yourself within that, you know, tradition or to uh, healthily push yourself in a different direction. Um, yeah. yeah. And... Um, yeah, I think maybe as, uh, just a final point here, um, yeah. that with, um, with the yoga practice and what we were talking about this, um, this understanding of moving through Pratyahara, um, Dharana, Dhyana, that I think in, in our modern world of how commercialized yoga is, it seems like most people are kind of stuck um, in the, like the materialized sense of the yoga practice, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's, yes, do your practice daily, but 
they're doing really strong asana practice and breathing techniques, but they're not allowing themselves the time to go to sit down and go inwards and to assess um, the attachments, right? And to assess mm-hmm. um, why it is that uh, they won't allow um, the journey into their past to do the healing so that you know, their views about say religions like Christianity or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, and, and who they are to experience the healing that is coming about from the practice. And, and that, and that's where I think, um, where we are now in our current age of how yoga has advanced in the West over the last 200 years, that I feel like there's another wave of yoga coming about, mm-hmm. um, where, um, you know, the way that I think about it is when Swami Vivekananda and Yogananda came to mm-hmm. America, that was the first wave. And then when, um, uh, Patabi Joyce and BKS Iyengar and Bikram mm-hmm. came, that was another wave. And then we've, we've had this third wave of like, um, uh, Sadhguru and Vishwaji and, and a few others. Um, and I'm, and I'm sure there's, there's plenty more, right? Like, um, but right. that, that I think there's, there's going to be, or there is another wave where everyone that has been so hyper-focused on their body and so hyper-focused on the, on the physical practice that something is going to click where the meditation and the meditative practice mm-hmm. and really diving into um, what this process is from Pratyahara and onward, that it's it's going to click within that that's where the um, spiritual healing is, right? That, mm-hmm. yes, you can do physical healing, you can do mental healing, and you can do emotional healing, but then there's also the spiritual healing that allows you to go into... Um, like your deeper karmas and um, your deeper attachments where your your outlook towards people and yourself suddenly can um, can shift and you know mm-hmm. like you're saying um, you know your your view of your past suddenly um, is viewed in a lighter way because you're giving yourself that time to to develop the healing um, that, um, doesn't involve anyone else, you know, it, 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 Mm -hmm. like where like your physical healing, it'll involve the doctor, it'll involve, you know, like other specialists if it's needed. But when it comes to spiritual healing, there's this point where not even your, um, your yoga teachers, not even your gurus can, can Mm -hmm. show you that's when everyone steps away and it's, and it's your responsibility. Now it's, it's a, it's a healing that inward only you can really explore. And I think, I think that's what people are Mm -hmm. like almost afraid of, you know, and there's this point I really feel within the earth that something's going to kind of break open. Something is going to shift where a mass amount Mm -hmm. of people are like, okay, it's now it's time to do spiritual healing. And it's, and it's going to be, a whole wide variety of people. It's going to be people from, you know, who are Jewish, who are Muslim, who are Christian, mm-hmm. who are Catholic. It doesn't matter that they're going to realize that, you know, there's a tool here that we can use to get into the spiritual healing that um, mm-hmm. will really pave the way for, um, 
a lot of beauty, I think. And, and that's where I feel like people like you and I, and, and many others, you know, in our circle that are, re- are really exploring that. And it's really amazing yeah. to see. Yeah, it, it sure is. And I, I hope, you know, for me, I, I, what you've been uh, saying that this more subtle dimension of um, spirituality or yoga will, will open up for uh, more and more people. And, you know, uh, somewhere along the way, I hope when we look over our shoulder, we see, you know, this commercial was a great stepping stone Mm -hmm. but it was just a stepping stone um made it accessible and approachable for a lot of people um i do hope that you know that 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 is the case um and now i'm i'm very modest or hesitant maybe even to project my healing of what i my you know healing about with yoga you know that it also needs to be the healing of others but i do believe that you know there's so much more than uh, than the physical that it is really about um uh, maybe transcending or um, transforming one's body emotions and, and minds and that is also you can also have spiritual pain because by gradually exploring yourself maybe starting on the physical level by and by purchasing in, a new yoga mat uh, you you come across that you 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 dislike the color yellow and uh, and from there on a whole series of events will you know i don't know how it works the whole chain of events will set in motion and eventually you'll you'll end up being a a better person you know who knows Mm -hmm. um but i i do hope that we are at a uh, at a point where more and more people are invited to think about their ideas and their relation to to the world and um yeah that that we are you know in 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 a transitional phase of becoming a more integrated uh whole yeah wonderful man thank you uh so much for coming on and and chatting (laughs) it's so good to see you it's been yeah it's been a while and um the way that I I'm doing this podcast is um, mm-hmm. I, I'm finding people that I can I can have on um, kind of as as regular guests as time goes on as so that like mm-hmm. um, you know as so the next time we talk you know um, if you'd like we just kind of go yeah. deeper and deeper and like each pe- like so when people start to listen and they, they go on mm-hmm. and they watch the podcast or listen to the podcast that um, you know, they can see that, um, there's a channel being made, um, for each yeah. time we talk, you know, so I'll Great. Um, love to have you on again and, and go deeper and, you know, explore, um, much more about the, about the yoga practice and philosophy. Cause the yeah. philosophy part is really what I, what I love too. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good way to, um, you know, introduce who you are and, and what you know. So, Thank you yeah. so much, and yeah, have oh, you're a welcome. Rest great day. So for you, for everyone watching and listening, thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and enjoy. Yeah.